0: Well, hello, everyone. Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, and oh, how we need you. We need you all the time, but it seems like we are in a state that we desperately need you. But Lord, I think that's what you want us, in that kind of desperate feel, that we are desperate for you. And so, Lord, make your word clear. That we will be able to see just how powerful and how your word is sufficient and that it is what we need and how it will, it will keep fear away. And so, Lord, I know that you have us going through times, all of us going through certain times, so that we know that your word is enough, that Jesus is enough. And that he wants to teach us so that we don't have to live in fear or panic, but that we can live with confidence, because we are confident in you. You are God, and there is none other. And so Father, we just we give you this this time in First John 1, and Lord, I just pray that your spirit just takes over our hearts that we will hear what we each individually need to hear. Even though it's one lesson, you have a way of communicating just what we need. Oh, we love you today. And we're so grateful that you loved us first. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen. Well, everybody wonders if we are doing a summer study and this is it. It just seems like we've had a different kind of Bible study year. And I feel like we really accomplished quite a lot when you think about starting with the life of David. And then we went into John's gospel as he wrote about Jesus the Savior, how Jesus was from the line of David, and then we moved on to the revelation. And I just personally want to thank so many of you for, for being so faithful. It's so easy to kind of get in our home routine. And it's like when we, are, when we are in Bible study and we have to go, then we do our lesson and then we have that time where we come together. It's just such a temptation to kind of flit it off. And I just want to thank so many of you for for being so faithful to God's word, because you are realizing just how important God's word is. I think as a little girl, I always knew that reading the Bible was important. I always memorized scripture. I had to in school or Sunday school. But there is something about maybe our day and age maybe spiritual growth that I've experienced, but I can't even fathom trying to to navigate my way through this life if it wasn't for the confidence of God's word. I mean, when you sit down with your Bible and you really go through what we say, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. It is all that I need. And then we really start believing that. That when we sit down with our Bibles, you can just sense this peace that comes over even when the whole world is shaken. May I just say this to you? Keep this in mind when you're watching the news or when, when you maybe are going through either the storms of your own personal life or the storms of what's going on in the world, may you just keep remembering that the world isn't falling apart. I know, I know it looks like it is. The world isn't falling apart. It's just falling into place. Because we have a God who is in complete control of all things. And after just coming out of the revelation, we know without a doubt that he has a home prepared for us. We have life forevermore. We have a future So, this summer study, I thought, let's just kind of keep going with the Apostle. Now he's the Apostle John. He was when he wrote the Revelation, too. But I found that some scholars believe that 1 John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is really John's last message to the whole church. Because we really don't know exactly who he's writing it to. We don't actually even know when it was written. Many feel that he was on the island of Patmos and was writing these words and you know what what is our biggest danger? And he wanted to put this down in print so that the churches could always come back and we, being the church also, what is our greatest enemy? Now we can say the devil and he is our enemy, but sometimes an even greater enemy to our spiritual walk is complacency and dullness. Kind of like the letter to, to Ephesus. You've lost your first love. It's kind of like we're in a humdrum, run of the mill. We're not working at it so hard. We don't cling to the message of God's word like we should. In summer, I think summer too is a real temptation to kind of let things slide. And so we couldn't be in a better I don't think right now as 1st, 1st, and 2nd, 3rd John. So we're starting today with 1st John, and it's chapter 1. And how is this going to run? Because you don't have questions. But I want you to know that your assignment, your assignment... Now, I'm going to record these lessons, but you feel free to do them whenever you want. That's the nice thing about podcasts, But your assignment is to read the chapter every day. Read a chapter every day, because then that disciplines you to open your Bible, and when you go over something over and over again, it becomes a part of you. And to tell you the truth, the questions aren't really even that necessary. So for this particular study, no, you don't have questions, but you do have an assignment, and you will see that it is a really terrific assignment that will be so beneficial. You will find just how wonderful it is when you read something over and over again. So as we begin 1 John 1, John is writing to the church, and what has happened and it's just like what i said they have kind of lost their spark they're they've gotten they've gotten a little dull they're 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 just not they're just not excited they're they're kind of set in their habits and maybe they're even doing things by routine you know maybe we're kind of in a routine or You know, maybe we read the Bible quick before we go to bed or we read a few verses after a meal or, but reading and studying are two different things. And so we need to keep ourselves studying God's word. And this is what John, this is why John is writing because he knows that this is a big danger in the life of a Christian. And so we have to keep our, we've got to keep studying so that the message of the gospel does not, well, does not just become another story, but that it's our life. So he's going to bring in some points and I'll do my best to kind of show you that these are the points that we need to always be mindful of. Because I guarantee you that the more you know about Jesus, the more you know about what walking in darkness means, the more you know about walking in the light means, the more you will be able to handle what is going on in your life. So John is writing this for your benefit, for my benefit and so it will be worth your time, I guarantee it. John starts by saying these words, that which was from the beginning. I stopped there because John has a tendency to like to start at the beginning. And, and when he started his gospel in John 1.1, 1, 1, he used pretty much those same words, In the beginning was the Word. In other words, in the beginning there was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And right away you get a picture that there was never a time that God wasn't. And so now as he begins this last message to the church he says i want you to start from the beginning that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim Concerning the word of life. John has such a way with words and, and, and if you read it too fast, you miss that he is excited. He knows because he saw it with his eyes, he heard it with his ears, he actually touched Jesus. And he is excited now, we know that in the gospel, his main intent was that we know the Savior. John wanted to make sure in the gospel that we understood what the gospel really meant. That we we need a Savior, every one of us, and we have one. And he taught us Jesus' teachings and and, I mean, the study of John the gospel is magnificent and it's clear to understand it's for God so loved this world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life John says at the end of his gospel I tell you these things so that you can know him In his letters here, he's talking to the church that know him, but they've gotten a little lazy. They've gotten a little spiritually lazy, and they've got a—they've lost their excitement. And so he is going to show them in these letters that it's not just knowing and accepting Jesus as our Savior, but it's also walking with him, growing up in him, maturing. That even though we know that we um, are going to heaven when we die, even though we know that that our eternity is secure, until we get there, remember in Revelation 22, it was, at first I kind of thought that it was a letdown after Revelation 21, but it wasn't. It was, it was so perfect because we aren't there yet. Revelation 22 reminded us that we have a job to do. We have people to reach. We don't want anyone to stand in judgment for their sin to be cast into hell. And so in this, particular, in this particular chapter, he says, I want you to stay excited about your walk because you aren't there yet. And I don't want you to miss. Remember when Jesus said, again, in John 10, 10 I've come so that you can have life, life abundant. That means that even until we get there, we can have life abundant. We can wake up every morning knowing that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. No matter what happens today, it is well with my soul. And these types of things should be exciting to us, that should keep us motivated, that we should want to continue to walk in the light, to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's what John is gearing in on, a relationship with Jesus. Now that we're saved, now we need to walk with him and have a relationship. So when he says, I have seen, I have touched, and then he says, the life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testified to it, and we proclaim to you Life, which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. In other words, he just reminds us remember, he was in heaven, he was with the Father. And now he was willing to come to this earth to be a man so that he could go to the cross and shed blood, which he's going to say to us at the end of this chapter, that was so necessary. May I just say here, too, that I had to go back and listen to a couple things that I said on the podcast just to make sure that I was right after I left um, recording it. I thought, oh dear, did I say that right? And I have to admit, I give you all credit for hanging in there because, you know, I get so passionate. And I'm sure there were times you wanted to say, "Lonelle, calm down. But I, I just am so excited about the fact that, that I'm so unworthy. We are all unworthy. But because of his love for us, he gave us a savior. A savior who was willing to suffer. But then, on the third day rose again. So I just, I just get a little over the top, excited about that, because I know what I used to be. And I know I don't have a real flamboyant testimony as far as I used to do. No, I was a good church kid. I didn't cause my folks any trouble. But I realized that I was one of the lost. I was one of the all have sinned that we're going to see in this passage. That we are all sinners. And so when you realize that that day is the best day of your life, when you realize you're one of the all. But that's why John is excited. He realized it too. And I can almost tell in the Gospel of John where where John made a big change when all of a sudden it clicked. And he realized what Jesus came to do for him. And you do get excited when you know where you used to be. When you know that you were lost and now you're found. You understand what that song Amazing Grace really means. And so I guess I feel the excitement that John is here. When you've experienced the salvation of a Savior, you want to proclaim it. And that's what he says, we proclaim to you. This is eternal life for you. Instead of eternal death for you, this story is eternal life for you. And he's starting this way because he's saying, then why are you so bored with this? Why are you getting so dull? Why aren't you excited? Don't you realize where you would be? And I feel that's why he uses words like, I want to testify. I want to proclaim. Verse 3, we proclaim to you. We proclaim that he once was in heaven, but he left heaven for 33 years to fulfill for you and I when needed to be done. And John, he "You know, and, and I happened to be one of them that got to witness three years of this man. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us." When I saw that verse, "We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard." I couldn't go. I couldn't help but just go back a little bit and put myself in John's shoes. What did he see? What did he hear? And I went back to the first part of the gospel. His gospel, where he and his brother James were were followers of John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and John happened to say to Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus said to him, come and see. I mean, come. We've talked about that word, come. He said to John, come and see. And John saw for three years. And then... I thought, of, I thought too, I just kind of went on from, from that moment on. I thought, he witnessed that Samaritan woman. He, he saw how Jesus loved this outcast and how the love of Jesus changed her life that she went back to the town that abused her and shared with them this story. I thought, I thought, I wonder if he remembers this, how there was two healings, not on the same day, but did he compare the way we did? How when Jesus healed the man of the invalid of 38 years, And now you could almost see when Jesus said, do you really want to be healed? He could see in his heart that this man didn't quite want it bad enough. Oh, he wanted to walk. But he didn't want a relationship. And when Jesus caught him later, after he was walking all over, and he warned him you better get your life straight or it's going to be worse for you than not being able to walk but then the contrast when when did john remember when jesus healed that man that was born blind and in that chapter we saw how this man had progressive faith How first when asked the question, no, I don't know who he is. But you could tell that he had a desire to want to know. And so you saw this man's faith grow all the time. Did John John remember when he said this? And there were 5,000 people and Jesus fed them. And then the 4,000 people and then, when Jesus walked on the water, and the way he stood up to those religious leaders that thought they were so religious but so spiritually blind. Did John remember the seven IMs? When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the true vine, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, John would remember, Lazarus, come forth, did John remember that triumphant entry when the people were shouting, Hosanna? And yet, just a couple days later, we'll be shouting, Crucify Him. I'm sure John remembers that upper room when Jesus washed his feet. And those chapters of 14 through 17 when Jesus just taught those, those 12, the personal teaching. And of course, John remembers the Garden of Gethsemane. He remembers the arrest in Judas. And there he was at the cross. He'll never forget that. And then of course when he outran Peter to the tomb and then he remembers the ascension when Jesus left but gave them a commission to go. You know John also understood something very important and that was the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20 John writes Jesus' words after he arose from the dead and he was giving them their instructions, he breathed on them. Now we know from Genesis that he breathes life into us. But in John chapter 20, he breathed the Holy Spirit into those men. And how the Holy Spirit goes on Pentecost... On our salvation day, he breathes into us another life, and that's the eternal life. And we can have understanding of his word through the Holy Spirit. John understands that the Holy Spirit does in us what we can't do. And so John says, these are things, how come you're not excited about that? And then he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, there's, there's the big clue, there's the big hint that you know John says, remember Jesus and what he came to do for you. And now, live every day with that thought, where you would be if he hadn't done that, if you hadn't accepted that. In fact, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. I mean, we learn from the gospel, John's reminding us in this letter, that our real joy is Jesus. And then he moves on in this chapter and says, this is the message we have heard from him. In other words, we didn't get this message from anyone else. We got this gospel message, this salvation salvation message from him. And now we want to declare it We want to declare it to you. So don't you love those words? Proclaim, declare, testify. He says, I want you to know, and I want you to keep remembering that God is light. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. I think what is going on in our world helps us to see that darkness can create all kind of havoc. Nothing seems to be good in the dark. We stumble and fall, we can't find our way, and so this is the the these are the illustrations that he wants us. He says, think about when you're in the dark. Well, God is light and there is not one speck of darkness in him. If we claim to have fellowship, if we claim to be walking with the Lord, if we claim to have a relationship with Jesus, yet walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live by the truth. And we know Jesus is the truth. John is pretty much saying, you can't have it both ways. You can't be walking in the light and walking in the darkness. I, I kind of studied on... Uh, Uh, Because I've I've known the words, walking in the darkness, walking in the light. But this, this week, I really wanted to understand what it meant, walking in the darkness. And basically, walking in the darkness is when you are living an unrepentant life. You are totally unconcerned that you are offending a holy God. Did you hear that? Walking in the darkness means I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care that Jesus loves me and these are the requirements he expects me to follow. I don't care. It's all about me. That's what walking in the darkness is. And that sentence really gets to me when I, when I keep going over it. Totally unconcerned that you are offending a holy God after what he did for you. And then, what does it mean to walk in the light? And I think the best, the best definition of walking in the light is Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That verse means that I am studying God's word. It is a priority because I know that if I want to walk in the light, His word is my path. There's something about when you know you're walking in the light. There's something about our conscience that we don't feel any guilt. It just feels so good because my conscience is clear. I know I'm doing what my Savior has asked me to do, expects me to do. There's something wonderful when you're walking in the light. That's why you can tell the difference. When I'm walking in the light, that means I want to make sure that my life is in an alignment with his word. And how can my life be in, be in an alignment with his word if I'm not studying it? Walking in the light is when I don't want to feel guilt. I don't want to hurt. I am concerned about offending my holy God. I don't want to do anything that I know he'll be disappointed. I think this is a major lesson that we all need to go over and check every now and then. And I can see exactly why John was writing this last message to the church because it is so critically important to stay walking in the light, to stay in that relationship with God, to keep remembering what Jesus has done. In verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John wants you and I never to forget that we walk in the light only because of what Jesus did, because of his blood. His blood is the only thing that can take our sins away. There's no relationship with Jesus without the blood. There's no relationship walking in the light. It's impossible without being washed in the blood. There's no relationship that we can have with God without it. Some people think, oh, intellectual education or philosophical things or emotions and feelings. No, the only way you and I can have a relationship. The only way we can walk in the light is because of the blood of Jesus. And that's why he says that. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship not only with him, but see, when all is flowing right, when his blood has flowed over us and cleansed us from our sin, when his Holy Spirit now flows through us, we not only are living in a right relationship with Him, but it allows us to live in a right relationship with other people. And that means even difficult ones. Because when you're in the right walk with God, His Spirit then enables you, again, to do what you can't do for yourself. And that's forgive not carry grudges, vengeance. So not only is it a beautiful thing to be walking with the Lord, he extends it out so that then we have a right relationship with one another. But he comes back to make sure that you and I know if... If by chance we claim, you claim, I claim, if by chance we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. See, if you think you're good enough, if you think because of what you've attained or succeeded in, in the world's standards, if you have gone to the point that your spiritual life is just dulled because you can handle it, your life, it looks good, everybody's looking at you. He says, if you haven't gone to the point if you don't claim to be a sinner, you are gonna miss it all. That's why he says if you if we claim to be without sin, you're deceiving yourself. And you don't even know the truth. Because the truth says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Truth. we know that from Genesis 3 on Adam and Eve's sin changed everything but we also know now that the blood of Jesus in you and me can change everything Genesis 3 we were lost with no hope But right from then on, God started a plan to bring His Son so that we don't have to be lost. But the only way that we come to that realization is by seeing that we are sinners. That's why John says, "Don't ever forget. Don't ever get complacent in the fact that you were so you were lost. Don't ever say that you weren't a sinner because you were. Because the truth is Jesus came to change everything. And of course, 1 John 1, 9, I think many of us have committed that to memory, but John, it's it's just so priceless. I'm so grateful that he laid it out. If, see, he put an if. If you think you don't need him, well, I want you to know you're deceiving yourself and you don't have the truth in you. But here's the other side. If you realize you are a sinner, look at this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us. He'll forgive us. He'll forgive us of what? All our sins. Do you know that Jesus says that we can even blaspheme his name and yet come to him in forgiveness or in repentance and he will forgive? There is no sin that he will not forgive. The only sin that he won't forgive is the sin against God's Spirit. The sin against the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit is working, telling you and I our need for a Savior, and we choose to say, no, we don't need one. That's the sin that is unpardonable. Because the terms of salvation is that we need to repent and realize how badly we need Him. But this is where that ninth verse is so good. He said, if you... Confess your sins. He's promised to be faithful and just and will forgive you of every sin. Purify you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. John is saying, do I hear a few amens? Do I hear a few hallelujahs? Do I see a few of you getting up, raising your hands in praise? Because that's something. He's promised to forgive all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And remove that unrighteousness and trade it with what? righteousness himself. So he goes back in verse 10 and repeats, if if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar because he told us that every one of us is. And I think down deep, We know that. And he says that not only is Jesus a liar, but his word has no place in our lives. That is such a sad verse. But I guess he wants you to see the contrast of verse 9 and 10. And you have to know that it's your choice. But if we claim we don't need him, if we claim that we haven't sinned, we don't need a savior. We make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. See, that gives me chills now, because now I know how badly I need his word. And the thought of it not being a part of my life, I can't do it. I can't do it without his word. So I'm just going to read a couple lines of the second chapter because it kind of goes along. My dear children, I mean, how endearing is that? My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And you think, well, that's impossible. I don't really think it is impossible. Now, the thing is, I have to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you, are you sinning all the time? No, we aren't, especially I mean, we are not sinning when we're when we're in our Bibles, when we're studying, when we're listening to God's Spirit, when we're walking in the light. When we have a desire in our heart, and he can see that. If we if we are in that that condition, we won't sin. We fall into sin when we step out of the light and think we have a better plan. Or it's easier to be afraid than it is to trust. So when we, when we fall into sin, whose fault is it? It's not God. It's our own. And so John is saying, I want you to get into such a relationship that you see yourself sinning less and less. So, what's standing in the way of that kind of relationship? Hmm. I think you already know the answer itself. Self is such such a terrible word, and to think that it inhibits us from a right fellowship, a right relationship with our Savior, and all that He has promised to give us. Don't let your weaknesses and your excuses get in the way. Yes it takes time and effort and discipline and work. But don't you want a relationship with your savior? And when you when it's in a right relationship, you'll then know how to handle relationships with people around you. Now, I'd, I'd say that's a great way to live. And remember, it's only possible. And that's why John goes back to the beginning and since it's only because of what Jesus did. Never forget that. Because keeping that forefront, keeping the cross forefront in your mind, we can stay excited like John is. And we can handle life in all the shapes and forms, in all its ups and downs because we know, we know our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so for being our Father. Jesus, we thank you for being our Savior. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our life inside to keep us walking in the light. Keep us walking in the right relationship with God, which then helps in every part of our life. Lord, may we take this to heart. Thank you that John penned this. If it was his last message to the church, he's saying never stop remembering what Jesus did for you. Hallelujah. In his name we pray. Amen.